So this morning we are going to be looking at Galatians chapter 2, 15 through chapter 3, verse 7. It's going to be a little bit of a long passage, um, but fortunately I think the, the outline of the message is going to be fairly fairly simple. Keith introduced the, the letter of Galatians to us last week, and he, he talked about how there in Galatia there was this, and by the way, Galatia region it's not just one city but it's a it's a region and there were several churches uh paul started these churches on his first missionary journey as he as he passed through southern galatia and uh then he had also made a second trip back through and said that he had strengthened the churches on his way back to antioch and then at some point uh there were some apparently some christian some jewish christians so some of the earliest Christian converts or Jewish converts to Christianity, they came from Jerusalem and they started teaching that faith in Christ was not enough to, to keep you saved, to keep you in the grace of God eternally. That you needed, faith in Christ may get you in, but then you had to be circumcised and you had to observe the law of Moses in order to stay in and in order to fully experience God's grace. Not It's not terribly different from public view of justification. Um, so, so this is one of the main points of contention that Protestants had with the Roman Catholic Church, was that the, the Roman Catholic view of justification is that, you all know what I mean when I say justification? Justification is God's declaration of that a person is not guilty, de- declaring a person righteous. And so we are justified when we put our faith in Christ, the Bible teaches. Well, the Roman Catholic view teaches that justification is the final outcome of a righteous life. And so Jesus died in order to make grace available. But grace is basically help to help yourself in, in, in that tradition. So you, as you partake of sacraments, as you receive grace through communion, you receive grace through the, the rosary, prayers, etc., you accumulate merit. And so at the end of your life, when you stand before God, your, your merit is evaluated. And if you have enough merit to get into heaven, then you do, but most people don't. And that's why Roman Catholics have a doctrine of purgatory. So you go into a place called purgatory, which is a temporary, not quite heaven, not quite hell, and you uh, spend some time there until you've done your penance, till you're righteous enough to enter into heaven. Okay? So that's the Roman Catholic view of justification. Justification is the outcome of a righteous life. Luther and the Reformers following him, when they started reading the Greek New Testament, they realized that the church, in the Roman Catholic Church, that the doctrine of justification had been distorted. And that, in fact, what the Apostle Paul teaches is that justification is the entry point of the Christian life. And that your sanctification, all your life of good works that follows your justification, in no way contributes or strengthens to your just standing before God. Because of the perfect life of Jesus Christ and because of his death on the cross in your place and my place, God declares you not guilty because of Christ's righteousness. And all of your sin has been laid 
on the Son of God. And so you don't have to account for it anymore. So when you stand at the gates of heaven, your sin's already been accounted for in the cross of Jesus Christ. And it kind of goes against the grain of our human wiring because we kind of have, in, inherently, we believe that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell, right? But the gospel is not that way at all. The gospel is that God has created a way that bad people can go to heaven because really the world is only full of bad people. So the Apostle Paul talks about how justification is the beginning point of our life in Christ. And the only way that you can be justified, that you can have access to the grace of God, is by faith alone. And so that's the the mantra of the book of Galatians, is this, that access to salvation and the blessings of God is purely by God's gracious, unmerited favor through faith in Christ. We turn to, faith, uh, turn to Christ in faith, and God uh, gives us grace. Let's uh, read the text, and then I'm going to pray. Beginning in chapter 2, verse 15, he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. When he says we also, he means us Jews. We also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. No one will be declared not guilty before God because they were good enough, because they worked hard enough. But if in our endeavor, and again, he's still talking about those who were Jews, who were born uh, knowing the and with, raised with an understanding of the law of God and his expectations in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we too were found to be sinners is Christ then a servant of sin certainly not for if i rebuild what i tore down i prove myself to be a transgressor for though through the law i died to the law so that i might live to god i have been crucified with christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask that you would encounter us through the preaching of your word this morning. I ask that you would give us a a living revelation of your grace. God, it, it sounds too good to be true, that we can be fully and freely counted not guilty despite of anything we've done and and that we don't have to work for it we don't have to prove ourselves to you it is it just it's overwhelming it's radical 
God, it's radical in every culture, and it's especially radical in our own culture. So I just pray, Father, that you would speak to every heart here, God, and that you would fully convince us of your graciousness. I pray for those who may not know you, God. I pray that you would draw them to yourself in this time, that your grace would be beautiful and amazing to them. And, Father, I pray for every Christian here, God, who may be struggling with legalistic temperament, God, a tendency toward trying to validate themselves, even me, God. I just, I pray, God, that you'd do a work in our heart and that we would be a community marked by your radical grace, that we'd be radically gracious toward one another. We'd be radically gracious with people who are living ungodly lifestyles, God, that we, we would abound in grace to the church and to the world. We ask it for your glory and in Jesus' name, amen. So, the big idea. Paul says the true gospel of Jesus Christ, because there was a false gospel that was being preached. And this is the really scary thing, is that a lot of times when we, when we read the book of Galatians, we get the impression that maybe these Judaizers, we call them, these people who were teaching that you, it, faith alone wasn't enough, but you needed to perform the law, we think that these guys were like unbelieving Jews, that they were rejecting Jesus. But they weren't. These false teachers were from among the church, right? These guys came down from the church at Jerusalem down to Antioch, it tells us in chapter 15 of Acts, and then apparently also they had made their way to the churches of Galatia. And they were Christians struggling, Jewish Christians struggling to understand how God's holiness in the law should relate to our new life in Christ had fallen into an error of thinking that faith in Christ was not enough. So the true gospel, as opposed to this false gospel that they're teaching, is that Jesus Christ declares that the grace of God is freely given and fully given to those who are united with Christ through faith. Righteousness and relationship with God are by faith from beginning to end. And in this passage, as we go through, we're going to see Paul talks about how does a person begin a relationship with God? How do they gain access into God's favor? And Paul says, it's by faith. And then he says, now that I am a believer, how is it that I live my life in the remainder of the time that I'm in the flesh? And he says, it's by faith. And then he says, how is it that a person can finish this life? Do you have to do some good works in order to be fully and finally accepted by God at the last day of judgment? And he says, no. He said, the way that you finish this life is by faith. It's by faith from beginning to end, and your good works don't contribute anything to your justification, to your standing before God. Sinclair Ferguson, in his book, The Whole Christ, he says, in its essence, legalism is any teaching that diminishes or distorts the generous love of God and the full freeness of His grace. So one of the reasons that uh, Keith and I, we, we really felt led to, to do this series on Galatians really stemmed from a conversation over this passage that when we were doing our series on discipleship, I just, we just kind of felt this burden that we're, there's this really strong call. We, wanna, we want to preach the whole counsel of God and we want to emphasize these passages of Scripture that call us up to pursue good works, to seek to be conformed to the image of Christ. But we don't want to be misunderstood or for anyone to misconstrue what we're saying as that somehow being a good Christian 
adds to your to your value before God. So we want to to be really clear about this. That and so in in Paul's immediate context, legalism was directly related to the question of ultimate salvation. Now, most of us probably because we're we're pretty well indoctrinated in in Christian uh, Christian theology. We most of us would probably have an evangelical head. So we would agree that a person is justified by faith alone and that no one can gain merit before God through good works. But the problem is, is although we have evangelical head, many of us have a legalistic heart. It's because you're human. And in our, in our fallen humanity, we have this innate desire to validate ourselves, to justify our own existence, and to be good enough. And so it takes the, the grace of God to, to break through that and to convince us that, that I'm not good enough. And that's okay. Because Jesus is good enough for me. And so out, then out of, it positions me that I can now live my life for Jesus Christ out of love and gratitude with an awareness that I'm not good enough. And I can be a fool for Christ's sake. Because I know that I'm not good enough. And so I don't have to prove to anyone that I'm good enough. I only want to serve Christ. We talked about when I, in Luke chapter 9 that you only got one person to please uh, in the Christian faith. So legalism is any teaching that diminishes or distorts the generous love of God and the free fullness of His grace. So my point is is that your, your th- idea, uh, the legalism that operates in our hearts may not be directly tied to salvation. And yet, there are many faces of legalism that shows itself in, in the Christian body. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson in his book, he, referring to the parable of prodigal son, he has a, a great, great quote. He says, he says, legalism is more likely to be found in the house of the father than in the, on the pig farm. Legalism is more likely to be found in the father's house than on the pig farm. So true. As, as Christians, what does Peter say? He says that judgment begins with the house of God. And so we need to, before we think about how this applies to the world around us, we need to think about how this applies in our own hearts and in our own lives. So beginning with verse 15, Paul says that uh, he talks about beginning by faith. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth. Now he's just, uh, in, in chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2, he's just kind of taking you on a journey where he's recounted his own story about he was a Jew that was excelling among his peers and he was a faithful Jew kept the law he was a persecutor of the church but then Christ by grace redeemed him and gave him a job to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and he says that even Peter maybe the foremost among the apostles even Barnabas oh Barnabas I can't even believe it but Barnabas was even carried away by their hypocrisy he says so when when uh, some certain men from Jerusalem came. He's telling the story. He was at Antioch teaching. He says, some men from Jerusalem came from James, and they were telling people that uh, when, when they came, Peter, while he had been fellowshipping with Gentiles, he felt pressure from them to distance himself from the Gentiles so that he wouldn't be associated with them. And it says that because Peter was very influential, these guys from Jerusalem are very influential, so he says even Barnabas was carried away by this hypocrisy and Barnabas started started separating himself from the Gentiles. And so so he goes through this thing talking about how he had to 
have a hard confrontation with Peter and Barnabas over this issue um, because he says that is not the gospel. And we have a responsibility, and this is why I think it's important to remember that these were Christians that were teaching this, is that we have a responsibility in our community to protect the gospel, even from one another. When I, when, when my legalistic heart gets the better of me and I start being judgmental, I need someone, I need a brother or sister in Christ to correct me. I need a, I need a, a loving rebuke that says, that's not the gospel. Remember what the gospel is? Because the gospel is what we're about here. We're not, we, we're not trying to build a kingdom of perfect people. What do they say? We're, the, the church is not a hotel for saints, but it's a hospital for sinners. And I want to be part of a community of people who know that they're broken and who are walking in the grace of God. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth. So being a Jew by birth meant that you were born into the religious system of Judaism. You uh, were knew the law of God from a very young age. You were taught the not just the Ten Commandments, but all 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And, 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 and you were trained that this is how you relate to God. And this is how you, what it means to love God is to keep this law. And so, so that means this, Paul says, this was our heritage. He said, and we were not Gentile sinners. And when he says sinners, he's using it in the same way that people of his day used it. And he meant people who were far away from the covenant of God. Right? If you were a Jew, you were in covenant with God through the law of Moses. You were in. And all those other people are out. They're sinners. They're far away. He said, so we're Jews by birth. We're not Gentile sinners. And yet, we know, even though God had given us his law and showed us that we should keep it, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also, we Jews, have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And so Paul is saying, because we're all, we're all Christians here, we're all Jewish Christians, he says, the fact that we saw that we needed to come to Christ for salvation implies that we know that the law is not enough. Law-keeping is not enough. So why, and his logic that follows from this is, so why, if we had to, if we needed Christ more than we needed the law to get, to be forgiven of our sins, to gain access into a relationship with God, then why would we go back to the law as a way of relating with, with God? If God has replaced the law with Jesus Christ, why would we go back to the law? And so because no, by works of the law, no one will be justified. And he says this, this is a little complicated, but I'll try to, try to unpack it. If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, this Jew, Jewish people, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. And so he's saying that implicit in me coming to Christ for salvation is that acknowledgement that the law is not adequate. So if in coming to Christ, I was found to be a sinner, and notice he uses this word sinner, which is the same word he uses of the Gentiles. So what's he doing? He's, he's in the, in the mind of Paul's audience, they would have thought about Gentile, if God's here, Jews are this close to God, and Gentiles are this 
close to God, right? And he says, but as we came to Christ to be justified by faith, what we discovered is that the Jews were no closer to God than the Gentiles were. We, we had a, a bigger blessing by having a special revelation of God's will to us through the law. So they, they were blessed with the oracles of God, but they were no more righteous than the Gentiles. They were just as much sinners. So that's his point when he re- repeats sinners. He says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself a transgressor. So he said, if I was willing to tear down my self-righteousness based on the law in order to receive righteousness through faith in Christ... If I try to rebuild that self-righteousness, I only prove all the more that I'm a transgressor, that I'm a sinner. There's an echo here of, of the Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, famous passage you may know. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So he said, classic uh, question here is when he says, and this is not of yourself, not of your own doing, what, what does the this refer to? Does it refer to your grace is not of yourself? Or you have been saved as salvation not of yourself? Or is faith not your own doing? And the answer is yes. <laughs> None of it is your own doing. It is salvation through faith in Christ is a free gift of God. Now, I've heard people say, people have argued that, and actually I had a conversation with a Roman Catholic in Starbucks several years ago, and he said this. He said, is faith not a work? Doesn't faith require some act of the will? If you believe God and if you follow God in faith, aren't you working? And that kind of sounds good on the surface, And all I can say really is that from the perspective of the biblical authors, faith, whatever it is, it's the opposite of works because Paul consistently puts them in opposition to one another. And so faith is not a working, but faith is a posture of receiving. And and I won't deny that at at the human level of experience, there is an act of the will involved, but Paul didn't conceive of that as works. When he's talking about works, he's conceiving of external acts of righteousness. He is not thinking about a commitment of your heart as being a work. That, and that is, at, at, the, in, at the level of human experience, that is exactly the response that God calls us to, is a turning of our heart to him, orienting our heart around him, and opening ourselves to be used by him. And his grace energizes and empowers us to fulfill his will behind i believe that behind human choosing is always divine willing i believe that's taught throughout scripture um, that the holy spirit of god among god's people energizes and empowers them to follow him so paul says that that we begin the christian life by faith alone god is not looking through the earth, looking for someone who is righteous enough to be his people. He's looking for people who are broken, and he's really, the the offer is inclusive. The offer is to every single person on the face of the earth that Jesus Christ has died, and you have the opportunity for forgiveness of sins when you turn to him in faith. And God loves broken people. 
He glories in redeeming broken lives. And so, so once we enter into the Christian life, Paul says that not only are, do we begin by faith, but now we live by faith. And he said, this is an interesting verse. He says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. When I was studying, I was really, I was like, man, this verse is really, it's kind of obvious what it means, but at the same time, it is such a concise and compact statement. I'm like, what is he really saying when he says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God? Well, here's here's my best stab at it. He says, through when he says, I died through the law, he says, God's, what he means is God's righteous requirements embodied in the law demanded my death. The, God's law says that the penalty for, for transgressing his law is death. And so he says that, so through the law, the righteous requirements of God required my death. He says, through the law, I died to the law. And so what he means there is the death of Jesus Christ in my place fully satisfied the righteous requirements of the law on my behalf. So, through the law, he, Paul came to realize that, that he was a dead man, and he died to the law by Christ paying that penalty for him. And then verse 20 basically kind of takes that concise statement and unpacks it, makes it more explicit. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So having been fully and freely justified by the grace of God, we entered into relationship with God. He says, now that I'm a Christian, uh, what is my relationship? He said, there's been this decisive break. Being crucified with Christ, there was this moment where the old me died. He says, it's no longer I who live, the old me die, died, but Christ lives in me. Justification by faith results in a decisive break with our old pattern of life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it famously, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? Creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. That's good news. And he says that this is what God accomplishes through His grace. He doesn't say this is what you accomplish through your self-effort. But the grace of God is not only free, but the grace of God is powerful to transform lives. Which is why we, we insist that people who are genuinely born again, people who genuinely have the Spirit of God inside of them, should be experiencing growth. They should be experiencing life change. So faith in Christ, whatever it is, it is not merely intellectual agreement with a set of facts about Jesus. It's about a heart orientation that opens yourself to the power of God and He changes you. He compels you to change. doesn't mean that it's let go and let God and that there's no effort involved. There is discipline. There is effort. But it is empowered and enabled by the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God prompts it and compels it. What does Paul say in Philippians chapter 2? He says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So you work out your salvation knowing that it's God at work in you. The Bible's very, very clear about it. But again, that, that, that effort that we do in no way 
elevates our value before God. If God has already given what was most precious to him, how can you elevate your value anymore? He gave what he loved most to bring you to himself. There's nothing there is there that you can't mean more to him than you already do. Amen? So the second half of verse 20 says, so he says this old me was crucified with Christ. He died. But now this li- this new life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So do you see that present tense? The life I now live, how do I live it? By faith in the Son of God. And why? Because he loved me and because he gave himself for me. I love the, the verbs here. I think this is a great summation of, of, of discipleship. We see in the verbs here, we see the action of Christ. What did Jesus do? He loved and he gave. And what does he require of us? To believe and to live. His commandments are not burdensome, First John says. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Because everything that He requires, He provides for you. Amen? So the believer's new life in Christ is lived without reference to the law. I think there is a... a when, when the Apostle Paul and the other New Testament writers, when they talk about um, how to please God in the new covenant era, in this new covenant situation that we're in, there is a conspicuous absence of reference to law. When, when they tell us how to please God, they talk about loving one another. Whenever Paul, Paul twice, when he references the law, he says the whole law is fulfilled in this way. Love God and love one another. Love one another and thereby fulfill the law of Christ, he'll tell us in Galatians. And so, we, and we've talked about this before, but there was literally, when he says that I died to the law as a standard for righteousness, he really means it. When Jesus came onto the scene, Jesus fulfilled what the law pointed to. And so the righteousness of a Christian, when we think about the target on the wall, what is it that we're pursuing when we talk about the pursuit of holiness? It's the very image of Christ. And the problem with the law is not that the law was bad, but it was incomplete. It wasn't a full picture. And so if we aim for the law as our standard of righteousness, it's like we're shooting for the floor when we ought to be shooting for the sky. And so he says that that my righteousness for me, the law is no longer my point of reference. If we're pursuing righteousness that is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ, we will never violate the law. We will transcend the law and we will hit a higher a higher mark. So, for example, to just to use some of the examples that Jesus used in in the Sermon on the Mount, is that if I'm if I'm shooting for the law, then the best that I can achieve is is not committing adultery, not committing murder. But if I'm pursuing the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, then I'm seeking to have a pure heart that doesn't objectify women, that treats. Uh, the people of the opposite sex as, as creatures made in the image of God, right? And, and so, so I love God and I love one another. And the law, although the law may have 
been aiming in that direction, it fell short of that goal. And so the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ is a standard of holiness that, that goes beyond the law. So Christ is our righteousness and our standard for righteousness. So all of my sin, past, present, future has been atoned for in the cross of Christ. When I turned to Him in faith, when I gave my life to Him, He paid for it all. And so now the life that I live out of thankfulness for that salvation, out of gratitude and joy, I pursue in the service of Jesus Christ. Because I love Him. Because I want to serve Him. And not because not because He's going to love me more, because He can't love me more. So begin by faith, we live by faith, and we finish by faith. Verses 21 through the end. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So let's think about what he's saying here. He says, if righteousness, if it was possible to be declared righteous by God through the law, then it was pointless for Jesus to die. And if that's true, then we nullify the grace of God. That word nullify, it means to make void, to make worthless. We nullify the grace of God. And by grace, he means the gift of God through Jesus Christ, dying in our place. If righteousness are through the law, then then it was pointless for Jesus to die. And, and the point that Paul's trying to make is, is what an insult. What an insult to the love of God who would give everything for you that you would regard it as insufficient for your sin. Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Or in other words, are you now being completed, being perfected by your own self-effort? And this is, he, he questions, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So he's saying, you know what, I'm really concerned for you. I'm not sure that you've really experienced the grace of God in Jesus Christ with this kind of perspective of his grace if you're still trusting in in your own self in your own works to make you righteous before god i'm not sure that you've really got christ does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith he said so did you through your own self-effort did you get the spirit of god through your own self-effort did you produce the miracles that you're seeing happening among you Or did you receive that as a free gift of God's grace simply through believing the gospel? And I think the answer is obvious. He says, your situation is just like Abraham's. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And so again, we're we're back to this question where the common conception of Abraham was that he believed God, but then he was circumcised. And, and there was a popular idea among Jewish people in, in Paul's day that Abraham had kept the whole law before there ever was a law. They held him in an extremely high regard. So before the law ever came through Moses, Abraham was so good that he was keeping it. But Paul says, hey, I've read my Bible, and I know that chapter 15 of Genesis comes before chapter 17 of Genesis. Mm-hmm. 
And it's in chapter 15 that Abraham believes God's promise and God reckons him righteous. And it's not until chapter 17 that God comes and says, now that you are my man, you're going to need to be marked as my man. And you ain't going to like it. <laughs> but but he, so, so the command for circumcision came after God had already counted him righteous through his faith. And so Paul says that there's before Abraham was a faithful Jew, he was a Gentile accepted by God on faith. And that's Paul's point. And so we're all received in by faith the same way we all live by faith. And we all finish the race by faith. We can't be perfected by our own self-effort. Your sanctification makes no contribution to your justification. To try to get a little practical and think about what this actually looks like in our life, how do you know how your relationship with God is going? Do you, do you primarily, if I were to ask you, how's your spiritual life? Would a shot of fear run through you that I'm now being tested? He's wanting to know you, would you, would you take my question? If I asked you, how's your spiritual life? Would you think that I was asking you, in what ways are you seeing the grace of God in your life? Or would you think that I was asking you, how are you performing? I know when someone asks me how my spiritual life is, I immediately get defensive and I think, uh, I don't know. How am I doing? And then I think through it and I'm like, okay, I had to check that box, check that box, check that box. I guess I'm doing okay. Man, that was a close call, right? But I only feel okay if I've got all the boxes checked. And so I think part of what feeds a legalistic culture is is when we, and just because we're human, we naturally think about our relationship with God in terms of our performance. But what if it wasn't about performance? What if it's not about your performance? What if it's about you experiencing the grace of God in Jesus Christ and so the questions that maybe we should ask is, is not so much did you, did you read your Bible every day this week? But maybe the question is, do you feel hungry for the Word of God? Do you feel like you're in a close connection with God? Do you have a desire to seek Him in His Word? Do you, and not, and these are not, you know, more performance questions, but how are you seeing God's grace work in your life? Um, I think there, there are some seasons when people get absolutely overwhelmed with life and they have a sincere uh and the grace of god is still working in their life they have a hunger for god but they're just busy and if they and they and they if they were just checking if we're just checking the boxes their performance might not look that great but that may not be an indication of their spiritual health so i'm just saying that that checking the check boxes in and of themselves are not an adequate marker of spiritual health i think we've got to We've got to press in with one another in relationship and ask the deeper questions. Get past the external behaviors and get to the heart issues of where do you see God's grace working in your life. So perfectionism is one of the faces of legalism. And, and perfectionism, can. there's two sides to it. One is self-delusion. Specifically what I have in mind is is that because we want to be validated by our works and because we live in a culture that validates us according to our performance we have a tendency to want to insulate ourselves to those environments where we perform the best and so i mean this is what's going on with workaholism a lot of the time a guy feels incompetent as a father 
and he feels incompetent as a husband. And so what, what am I going to do? I'm going to go to work because I do good at work. My boss tells me I do good. And my wife tells me I'm not doing good, right? So, so, so men gravitate toward environments where they feel competent. But God gave marriage and He gave family, at children as sanctifying institutions. And so He doesn't call us to run away or escape from those places where we feel inadequate. He calls us to press in and to seek His grace, right? When we try to protect ourselves, when we try to hide from those spheres of life where we desperately need God's grace, I'm afraid that we're, we are operating in that performance trap where we're finding our value from performance. Performance also leads to self-condemnation. So when you are not able to be in those places where you are competent and confident, you fall into self-condemnation. Because you, you get a feeling that you were beyond the grace of God, that you're beyond help, that you weren't able to do it. And so you're worthless because your worth and your value is directly tied to your ability to perform. So it doesn't even, legalism doesn't necessarily have to be in, immediately in relation, your relationship with God. It could be working in your relationships with other people in the world around you. But my guess is, is that if you're operating that way at the horizontal level, Chances are you're operating that way at the vertical level as well. So that's a, a place for self-inspection. So self-delusion, self-condemnation, and then third is judgmentalism. So we have a tendency to judge people based on externals, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is that the grace of God is full and free and powerful to tra- transform lives and that God can transform their life right where they are without them moving an inch. Right. All they have to do is receive it with faith. And that and that's the gospel. Who am I to not give the gospel to everyone freely? And so that's what God calls us to. And so and again, I, I think about Sinclair Ferguson, his quote, legalism is more likely to be found in the house of the father than on the pig farm. I remember I heard uh, Chuck Swindoll one time he was talking about someone in his church that had uh, received Christ and uh, had had come into the church. He was being discipled, and he was having a conversation with him several months after his conversion, and this guy had been a really, really hard drinker. And uh, and he said, he said, can I ask you, he said, do you ever miss drinking now that you're in the church and you've quit? He said, he said Chuck, I never miss drinking, but I miss the bars. He said, I had friends, I had camaraderie. And he said, in the church, I haven't found that camaraderie. I haven't had that feeling of acceptance the way that I did at the bars. And uh, I think there's something instructive in that for us as a church. That for us to operate as a church that really believes the gospel is that we should be a church that's marked by full and free acceptance of one another right where we are, even as, with the other hand, we encourage one another to pursue the holiness that is in Christ Jesus. He's our, he's our standard, but there's not one of us that have met that standard yet. I mean, and even in, in later on in Galatians, when Paul gets to the application section in chapter 5, he's going to say, don't judge one another. Be careful if you bite each other, bite and devour each other, that you don't consume one another. 
So he says that, that the greatest danger to the church with legalism is that we will turn against each other, this infighting. And you see, I, I think that's why he's so strong in, in the way that he comes at them in Galatians because he recognizes the threat that is there. One, if there's a threat, if the gospel gets hijacked, and two, legalism itself is a threat to the community. We want to be people who are marked by grace, who are willing to accept each other right where we are, and uh, but are love each other enough to not leave each other where we are. But we're pursuing Christ's likeness together, arm in arm. So I want to pray for you, and if if anything that I've said strikes a nerve, if if you're in a place where uh, you you feel like you've got a legalistic heart and you need some freedom, I'm going to invite you just to, to raise your hand. And there may be a lot of hands raised. And uh, just if we would move and, and pray for one another during this time. And also, if, you, if you, you've never heard the gospel this way, if you've never heard that the, that the gospel, that justification before God is a free gift through faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to receive that gift too. It's not something you can do through your own self-effort, but only a gift that you can receive. And I do want to invite you to receive that gift right now. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I I ask even now that you would move, that you would um, reveal to us action steps. God, what is the next thing that you would have for us to do? Each one individually, God, how can we respond in faith to your word? Would you reveal to us the places where we have legalistic hearts, where maybe we're, we're being judgmental toward one another, maybe we're being judgmental toward people outside the church, maybe our, our, we're measuring our, our standing before you uh, by our ability to perform for you. Father, would we ask, I ask for freedom in this place. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and bring freedom to hearts that are bound up, Father, if there's anyone who does not know you, I pray that, that you would illumine their eyes by the Holy Spirit, God, that you would cause them to see the how free and how beautiful the gospel is. God, it's, it is good news. It's radical good news. And I just pray that you would help us to believe it, every one of us.